Eventually, we're all going to be able to quote Micah chapter 6, verse 8. As you hear it from me quite often, uh, Micah is speaking and he poses a question. He says, what does the Lord require of you? He then follows up the question with a clear answer that entails basically all of the commandments. It's kind of like when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, the people were looking for this really profound answer, and were expecting him to say something like, you shall have no other gods before me. Would have been a great answer, and nobody could have argued with it, but Jesus knew that if he gave just the simple answer of one verse, one commandment, that it would have created a problem, because generations later, not to say just our generation, but certainly within our generation, we would have been looking at it and say, well, that's the only commandment that matters because that's the one Jesus talked about. So instead, Jesus gives them two commandments. He sums up all of the commandments in these two. One is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And of course, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in case you didn't figure it out here, what Micah does is something very similar. And what does the Lord require of you? He answers the question himself by saying to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. If you keep that requirement that that God has given you, I will guarantee you will also keep all of the Ten Commandments. I will tell you that if justice, mercy, and humility are deeply, are, are, if justice, humility, and mercy become a part of our lives, it will deeply impact the world in which we live today. Can you imagine a world where people do the right thing, where people extend mercy and grace prior to judgment and wrath, and where people were willingly walking in the footsteps of Christ? It would be a beautiful thing. And it can happen if God's people would begin that process and we ourselves would experience it. I do want that for our nation, but it's got to start within the church. Well, I don't want to just talk about Micah 6.8 today, but there are a couple of verses in James chapter 2 which mirror what we just read and quoted from in Micah 6.8. Today we're going to be focusing on James 2 verses 12 and 13, so if you want to go ahead and turn there already, you can. Last week, we talked about the fact that much of James's writing is focused on the need for real faith that leads to real action. In chapter 1, that included changing our perspective even on the trials of many kinds. We all have them. They're going to take place. They will come our way. It included us listening before speaking. Remember, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And it also included genuinely putting our faith into action, taking care of widows and orphans and many others who are in need around us. Well, today I want us to connect with that last point from last week. How do we live out our faith on a daily basis? I want to begin again by reading James 2, verse 12 to 13. I know it's right in the middle of the chapter, but it's really important. It says this, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has, will not be shown, all right, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
it seems appropriate that we start today with a verse that speaks of freedom. Yesterday, obviously, we celebrated our Independence Day, and of course, our American independence didn't begin in our lifetimes, yet it is something that Americans continue to fight for. Normally, for our Patriotic Sunday, 4th of July Sunday, we'll do a special service just to celebrate those who have served in the military and specifically to celebrate the freedoms that we have. And as a part of that, we'll recognize those. You'll see we have flags that are all along the front of the stage here. That's for the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and even the Coast Guard is represented within that And I want to take a moment, I know that it's a smaller group than what we normally have for our Patriotic Sundays, but I still want to take a moment and just say thank you to those who have served to help bring us the freedom that we have. Uh, Many of the freedoms we have today, other nations long for, they wish that they had these freedoms. They wish that somehow they could experience what we experience every single day, the freedom of speech, the freedom to worship, the freedom to bear arms. There are all kinds of freedoms that we have that other nations long for. It's only possible because other people have helped to protect and to fight for our freedom. So I'm going to ask if if you're one of those individuals who have served in the United States military, in whatever branch that might be, would you just stand real quick so we can express our appreciation to you? We are very grateful for your service and the fact that you have sacrificed of yourself in many ways time and put your own lives at risk. Thank you very, very much for your willingness to do that. You know, freedom is a beautiful yet fragile thing. If we are not careful, it can be taken away. But of course, freedom comes in many different forms. What I've been talking about is a freedom that is somewhat unique to the United States, but there is also a freedom that is unique to the Christian faith. And let me just add that the freedom in Christ is more valuable than any other type of freedom that you will ever experience. It is the freedom from the consequence of sin, avoiding eternity in hell. It is even the freedom from guilt and shame that originated with our sin. It is also the freedom to walk away from sin, to forever be changed, to be made new. It is the freedom to no longer live in fear, waiting for the next moral failure. Instead, it is the freedom to experience victory and life like never before. And all of that freedom is the result of one man who willingly laid down his life in order to set all of humanity free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Praise God for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. I am grateful for the soldiers who have sacrificed of themselves. But Jesus Christ, who didn't even know a single person, well, he did, he knew everything about us, but we didn't even exist yet. He laid down his life for you and for me. That's an incredible sacrifice. And it is his sacrifice that gives us freedom today. Well, let's look a little more closely at our passage. I know it talks about freedom just briefly there. I want to look a little more closely at our passage today. And as we do so, we'll pull in some other stuff from this chapter. Look one more time at what it says. It says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. 
Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. By the way, can you see how we're connecting the dots from Micah 6.8 to what we're reading here? Uh, we're talking about what people do, and we're talking about the mercy and the grace that is shown. It's exactly what we were talking about in Micah 6.8. We're going to work backwards here in this particular passage, but the first thing that I want you to see here is that it is not what you think but what you see. Now, I'm going to tell you, that sounds really confusing. Let me explain what I mean. I, I had a defensive football coach who used to tell me that if you think, you stink. If you react, you're exact. On the surface, his statement didn't make any sense. And I remember him having to explain it on multiple occasions. Remember, we're defensive players. We need you to make it simple. We need you to explain it. The idea was that if you have to think about what you should do what your next move is, you'll probably be too late by the time you make your next move. Instead, excellence is what happens when you no longer have to think through it, you just do it out of reaction. We talked last week about people being quick to call out other people. And I use social media as an example of this. Somebody says something and we want to set them straight. But part of the problem that exists in social media is that much can be lost in translation. We tend to overthink things. Remember, if you think, you stink. We read into what's been said. We get offended partially because we do not see the heart of the one who is speaking. And the more we think about it, the angrier we get. But remember that the key is not the thinking, but the seeing. Seeing the heart of the one who is speaking seeing the brokenness behind their opinion, seeing the emptiness of those who do not have what we have. I'm going to tell you that when you begin to see these things, mercy will naturally begin to flow out of you. Now, the problem for many of us is that we are somewhat selective in who we show mercy towards. We show mercy to those who have shown us mercy already. We show mercy to those who are just like us. We show mercy to those who think the way we think. At the beginning of this chapter, we see another example where the church selectively showed mercy to those who came for a visit. In fact, look at verses 1 through 4. It says, My brothers and sisters, believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Believers, and our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges? with evil thoughts. You know, I've shared with you before that I try to tell my kids often, individually, the downside is they're in here, so they're going to hear this, and I know it's going to shock them, but I tell my kids individually, you're my favorite. When the other one comes around, you're my favorite. And the thing is, I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but if all three of them are my favorites then I'm still treating them equally. They're all being valued equally. 
In fact, this is a principle that is even addressed in our Declaration of Independence. The second line says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men were created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Did you catch that? All men, that includes women too, by the way, are created equal. Of course, the issue is that each one is in need of mercy. Each one should be welcomed in regardless of what they can or they cannot do for you. In fact, it should be noted that Jesus made no distinction regarding class or socioeconomic standards when he ministered to people. He ministered to a rich man who wanted to know what he needed to do to be born again. He invited a tax collector, likely fairly well off financially, to be one of his own disciples. And on the other side of that, he touched the broken and the destitute, the slaves, the prostitute, the lepers, and even the lame. He gave honor and mercy to those who needed it most. If Jesus extended such mercy and honor to such undeserving people, why would we not do the exact same thing? Not just the ones that deserve it, not just the ones that we like, not just the ones that are like us. Why would we not offer the same mercy and acceptance to every single individual regardless of who they are? My hope is that we are doing so, and my guess is that many of you certainly are doing so. But if you are not, I need you to remember that you also have already been an undeserved recipient of God's mercy and honor. He extended mercy to you in spite of whatever sins previously identified you. And then he honors you by actually adopting you into his family. In fact, listen to the words of Galatians 4. It says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. That's an incredible honor that none of us deserves. We were orphans, spiritually orphans. Yet God said, I don't want you to be an orphan. You are my favorite. I value you. And I want you to be a part of the family. We have been adopted into the family, and now the spirit of his son dwells in our hearts. As a recipient of such mercy and honor, extend that same mercy and honor to those around you. In our key passage, James 2.13 says, Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me go back to what my coach said one more time. If you think you stink, if you react, you're exact. There's no doubt that God desires for mercy to be something that naturally flows out of you and me. In other words, 
He doesn't want us to just be merciful just because it's the right thing to do or because it's what the pastor told me to do. He wants us to embrace the heart of God so that we begin to see people like he sees people. So that we extend mercy like he extends mercy. See, there will be times where judgment will be appropriate, where it will be necessary. But our first thought, if truly the spirit of his son dwells in our hearts, the first thought that should come from us is to extend mercy to those who need it. Let us pray that God would give us a merciful heart like his. There's one other thing that I want you to see today in this particular passage. It's found in verse 12. I told you we were working backwards. I just read from verse 13. In verse 12, it says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. I've already talked about freedom that comes from Christ. And I do want you to know that it is the law that gives freedom. In the Old Testament, the law served primarily to remind people of how much they needed God because sin was so prevalent in their lives. The law, in many ways, kept them on the straight and narrow, but it also gave them a path for correction whenever they got off the path of the straight and narrow. That would have included God's promise also of blessing upon those who obeyed and his promised wrath for those who lived in disobedience to God's law. But the law has been satisfied by what Christ did on the cross. The wages of sin is death is not a principle that begins in the book of Romans. It's a principle that begins back in Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned, what was going to be the consequence? They will surely die. The reality is that has always been the law. But Jesus paid the price. He fulfilled the law by becoming the sacrifice for our sins, paying the price for those sins, asking only that we truly believe in the name of Jesus Christ. But that's not really what I want you to see here in this verse. What stands out to me is in those first few words, speak and act as those who are going to be judged. Get this, it's not just what you say, but it's what you do. Consider the verses that immediately follow verses 12 and 13 today. Look at verse 14 to 18. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You may be able to say right things, but it's what you do that will truly matter. I've talked to many people, even in the church, who are very knowledgeable, but they do not live as those who have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. 
Listen to me. Your actions matter. You may be very intelligent. You may be very good with quoting scriptures. But if you're not living it, what good is all the information that's up here? A quick application that ties together the idea of mercy with action is this. It's easy to say that I need to consider mercy before judgment, but it actually says something to people when you do it. When you think mercy first, when the first thing that comes to your mind is the heart of God, which says, man, I I, want to see people redeemed, not punished. I was talking with a friend this week about how society responds to injustice. We've been taught to cry out for political change. We've been taught to pour our money into government programs that will help alleviate the pain of others. And we think that as we cry out, we're becoming social justice warriors. We're fighting for the little guy. But crying out for justice is not enough. If you really want to alleviate the pain of another, then you need to get into their world and to love on them. It's nice to speak up. There are times that the world needs a voice. I'm telling you what the world really needs is the body of Christ to love them enough to go into the world and say, I'm not content leaving you where you are, so what can I do to help alleviate the pain and make things right within your life? You can apply this in so many different areas. Last week, I pointed out with the issue of abortion. Abortion is something that the church ought to stand against, and we ought to be very vocal about it. There's nothing wrong with taking a stand and saying, this is wrong. There's nothing wrong with lobbying your politicians and letting them know where you stand. But what we really need is the body of Christ going out and actually being a part of the solution, not just the voice saying, this is what we believe, but us showing them the mercy that God has to offer that says, I want to help you so that this is not the only option for you. You can apply that in many other areas. In our culture, we've talked about racism a lot over the last 40 days. And what if we actually just got in and loved on people who are broken, regardless of who they are? regardless of what's going on in their lives, if we will simply be the body of Christ. It's not about what you say as much as it's about what you do. If we are the church that we are supposed to be, we will show the mercy of God, not just speak the mercy of God. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly. Ooh, to act justly. You know what that is? It's not what you say, it's what you do. If we would approach the world that is broken around us by simply acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God, we could change the world. I do believe that. God could do great things through a people that were willing to do things the way he wanted them to do it.